All right, I have officially started my time, so <laughs> I'm watching the clock. Turn your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And I do ask you, pardon my voice. Um, I had a very terrible chest cold. You all know I told you that last Sunday. Preached, and then my completely lost my voice. Preached on the streets yesterday. And so it did affect my, my voice again. So if you could just bear with me, I'd appreciate it. Just want to let you all know that so you don't think I'm like some closet smoker. <laughs> well, as we approach a, a new year, uh, and, and many in the world are preparing to party and celebrate uh, as, they, as the introductory into 2024, um, which... I think celebrating is great. I think uh, it's not only time to celebrate, but I think the most important part as a Christian and as a believer uh, is to be reminded of why we as believers should have a different outlook on the passing of time and the preparation uh, for the future. Uh, deep down in the very fabric of our being, uh, we know that every minute of our lives is a gift from God. And every breath that we take uh, is the one granted to us by God himself. So as we enter into the new year, we need to understand why we tend to repeat the same thing every year. Striving to once again put our lives back together with a list of resolutions very similar, unfortunately, to the year before. Basically, they aren't really resolutions. They are failures that we did not accomplish. And we are going to once again see if we can overcome our faults and achieve our successes. Isn't that true? I mean, every year, I mean, at least for me, when I think of what would I like to do for the new year, I'm always thinking to myself, want to get in better shape, always want to change like my eating habits, always want to deal with my financial situation. But you know what? Every year it's exactly the same. And I find myself falling right back into the same failures. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with desiring to do better and to make some much needed changes in our lives. There's nothing wrong with that. But where does that spring from? Where does the motives and the and these actions, where does it essentially come from? As we find each year is just a repetition of the same things. There's nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions, but there's something wrong in the modus of the actions if they're just all about self. You know, we tend just to what? Think about ourselves and what we would like to do and how we would like to become successful. And I'd like to get into the very root of that kind of thinking and show where where our thinking should be as we prepare for a new year and how we can think biblically instead of thinking worldly in our preparation for the future. Where does the root of this behavior come from? And what should we do about it? Well, as we looked at Genesis 3-7, uh, we see the root. It says, then their eyes of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This was immediately after Adam and Eve had sinned. The, the, their, their response to their sin was exactly inherently what happens to every certain 
every person that comes in to the world. So here we see that, you know, the Christian life is filled with repeatable failures too. It's never about becoming perfect. We're only perfect in Christ. But as believers, we're going to struggle as well um, to deal with repeated things and repeating this and that. But the thing is with the Christian life, opposed to a worldly mindset, our failures can be used by Christ to expand our sanctification. You know, in light of failing each year and starting over, a lot of our failures are dealing with things that we are dealing with in the flesh. We need to ask ourselves, we ask God to recalibrate, reacclimate our thinking to being biblical. It's okay to fail. It's okay to repeat and to repent. But the reality is we have to look at it in light of the Christian life. What is the Christian life? Is it all about just us getting something and goal setting and being successful with our lives? Or is it really about biblically being faithful? Even under great attacks, great adversary, ad, yeah, great adversity, and obstacles that are set uh, before us all the time, the demonic attacks, the you know the, the 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 evil one, but also the spiritual forces in high places, realizing there is a place for those kind of things to come into our lives. But we also got to understand how do we handle those things biblically in light of Scripture. It's not about just becoming a better person. It's about our person dying so that Christ can be revealed. It's all in our perspective and how we deal with things and how we enter into the things that we do see successes. Because what do we see when we, when we go the way of Christ instead of the way of the world? We see that everything in light of following Christ is filled with failures, filled with problems, filled with sin and mistakes, filled with continually going the wrong way. But also it's filled with great successes, repenting from our sin, seeing ourselves in light of God's character and his holiness, and seeing ourselves for what we truly are in Scripture and our desire to constantly cover ourselves with the things of the world, trying to satisfy what only Christ can satisfy. We have to understand this reality about our own person, about how we're made, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, the, the fight against the sinful man. The old man is still there. Yes, it's been conquered by Christ. We don't have to go there. We have an advocate. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to overcome these things that we're continually find ourselves being trapped in. But the reality is, is that We've got to see a picture of why we do the things that we do and understand that human nature, there's an element here both of the spiritual and the physical. Look at Adam and Eve. What did they try to do? They didn't go spiritual. They went physical. The moment they were confronted in their sin, the moment that they sinned, what did they try to do? They didn't just pray or anything like that to make the sin disappear. They went right to covering themselves with fig leaves, going the route saying, hey, there is a spiritual issue going on here, and it reacts and shows itself in a physical 
way. And this is essentially what we're seeing with the fall of mankind and essentially what we're dealing with every single day of our lives. And praise be to God that he's given us his spirit to enable us to be able to conquer these things. And we don't behave just like the world. From this point on, after man's fall, the great battle continues, especially for those who are still lost. People that are still lost. Man without Christ remains in his sin. And this is where we see every false religion uh, or cult trying to figure out what to do with the dilemma of sin. I talked to a, uh, a lady yesterday who was a Buddhist uh, from another country and uh, she was just, you know, I was talking to her and asking her, like, you know, she what she says, why well, I, I believe what I believe and my beliefs are never going to change. So, so it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what's true. You can have this belief, but that's not going to do anything when you when you die and you stand before God. And obviously I took her through the law, showed her need for Christ. She says, you're not going to convince me. And I said, I know I'm not. I know it's not my job. My job is to give you the word. The spirit of God will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, right? And the wrath to come. So I left that on top of her. She walked away uh, in her pride, but she was a very kind and lovely person to talk to. Um, but it was just this idea that I said, you know, all religions are manufactured around one thing, the dilemma of sin. What do we do with sin? And these all these cults and all these different religions all are built upon the reality of not knowing what to do with sin. And it's called works righteousness, right? And this is, this is the, the place in our own lives. Even as believers, if we're not careful, we're not in the word, we're not in prayer, we're not around the company of the local church, you could find yourself very easily being swayed back into the world's philosophy and the world's way of thinking and your behavior is just like the world. Back in the 1800s, uh, there's books written about it called Practical Atheism. And what they're saying is this, is that it was for the Christians. Christians would call themselves Christians by name, but their lives were behaving like an atheist. And we see that all over Texas, right? Everybody down there in the stockyards is saved. They've all said the sinner's prayer, right? And the reality is that a lot of them, I'm not God, I don't know who's saved or unsaved, but they're in a stupor. You know, each, each, each time of judgment upon different nations, you ever notice the character of sin is a little bit different upon certain people? In America, it's almost like a, a, what the Bible says that their, 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 their eyes are fat or whatever. It's like we've gotten into this stupor that is very difficult, it's very difficult to reach people. Because there's this lulling asleep. They're asleep at the wheel. And it's very difficult sometimes. I'd rather preach in a nation that's completely given over. And when you preach the gospel, they confront you in anger. They make a noise. There's something there that registered inside of them. Whether it's them going, praise God, I want to repent or I want to kill you. At least there is some acknowledgement of the word of God. The forces of good against the forces of evil, right? At least there's some, there's some, there's some dialogue, which is a good sign. And most of the time, we all know if you're down preaching at the stockyards or Fort Worth, South Lake, it's just a sleep 
that covers them. It's like they're sedated. It's like they're under a spell or they're hypnotized by the world to such an extent they don't even hear anything, right? And it's, it's very, it can be very disheartening for the preacher. But you have to understand something. Judgment is, we live in a nation that's under the judgment of God. Don't be deceived. This nation has, is living in full out rebellion against God. And we can see what's happening. We look around the world, we get mad at the, you know, the, the cross dressers and, you know, going in and dancing in front of our children, which we should. But we see the slaughtering of millions of children, right? All over the place. We see all kinds of things. I mean, the list just continually goes on. We look at our sour, polluted, vile government. We see the things that are going on in the world, and it's easy to lash out in anger, right? But the reality is, God is angry at his people for not doing what they should be doing. Judgment comes first to the house of God. The things that we see in the world are nothing more than our laziness and cowardliness towards standing up against these evils. It is true. If you read scripture, look at the Bible, you'll notice every failure or fall of the nation always results in the people of God being held accountable for it. We're responsible for what we see out there. Before we start pointing the finger and getting mad and screaming at our televisions, ask ourselves, when's the last time that I have fasted and prayed for my country? And where the God, God says, I will hear your prayers, I'll answer your prayers, and I'll heal your nation of all of the disgusting, vile warts that have popped up throughout this country. We're, 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 figure, we're fighting against all the warts, but we're unwilling to repent of our own sin and fast and seek the Lord that he may turn and heal our land, heal our pulpits. You've got no gospel coming from behind the pulpit. You got no gospel going into the people, and you got no gospel going outdoors. What you have is half-baked Christians walking around, probably unconverted or converted, just totally lost in a spell that has been placed upon them by everything that we feed upon in this world. We have to see that. We have to take responsibility for that instead of just so self-consumed on what we need to do for our own life. I need to diet. I need to be better. I need to be in better shape. I need to do this. It's just so we're so consumed on self that we've literally forgotten what it means to be a biblical Christian, especially going in to this year as 116. We, as a, a corporate body, want to come together and we want to think biblically as we pursue the next year, not only for our, our lives, but for our wives and for our spouses, for our children and for the church. We got to be united and we got to be together and we got to be willing to die to ourselves instead of always looking to better ourselves. We look at Adam and Eve and in their present lostness when they were, when, when they became the realization that when they sinned and their eyes were open and the Bible says that they knew, what did they begin to do? Immediately they began to work. They began to work. It was the natural response of an unnatural 
fallen nature of humanity. It was their triggering response. What do we do? We've sinned. Uh-oh. And they knew it began to work. They try to sow fig leaves, right? To try to put their lives back together and cover themselves, somehow hoping to be able to regain the paradise that they had lost. And it's the same with all human nature, right? If we're not coming to Christ, they didn't turn to God and go, God, we have sinned against you. We have done wrong. We've disobeyed your command not to eat from this tree. We did it anyway, Lord. We repent. We're sorry. No, they went to a manufacturing from the flesh to try to figure out and try to paste over a spiritual problem. This is what we see. And this is what we do. This is exactly what we do when we are not walking in the Spirit, when we're not living by faith in Christ. What happens? What do we try to do? What are, what's the fig leaves that you use to run for your satisfaction, run for your cover, run for some kind of restoration, thinking somehow if I can just medicate myself with this, if I can just take this, or if I can do this, if I can just numb myself, I'm have to deal with my own conscience, I can get through this. We self-medicate ourselves rather than running to Christ. And it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous thing to play because everybody is affected by it. But thank God we read in Genesis 3.21 where God steps in, of course, our sovereign Lord steps in and provided the covering necessary for redemption as we read in Genesis 3.21. Then Yahweh, God, made garments of skin for Adam and his, and his wife and he clothed them, as we know, which is a type of Christ that is shown uh, in Hebrews, we look at Hebrews 10, 4 and 5, where it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So we know that this was just a type and a shadow. He clothed them, showing them this is the gospel. They would have understood. They mean, obviously didn't understand it clearly, but God was taking care of his own. God was there clothing them, showing them, Listen, I know you're a man. You're not God. I am going to do something to you. I'm going to illustrate something to you that points to what's to come. That is the Messiah that will become and will be crucified upon a cross, would die for the sins uh, of, of his people, be buried and risen to the newness of life. I don't know. That is, Jerry, some speculation. But I would say this. He told them what they needed to know. He didn't just throw them, just throw skins over them and go, oh, there you go, figure it out, right? No, they knew because it seems to indicate through Scripture that they're part of the Church of Christ, ultimately. And that's exciting. To sh that, that gives me hope. When I see these verses, I understand, you know, that humanity continues to grab onto everything, right? We tend to grab everything when we're in trouble, right? Like a drowning man. When he's drowning, he's going to be reaching for everything he possibly can, even take another person down with him if need be to save his life, which usually ends up drowning them both, right? And this is the way it is with the world, you know, and the way the world behaves. When they start seeing their, their lives decline, they freak out and they grab anything they can to try to keep them alive. And the scriptures show these are dead things. These are not the things that we need to be grabbing for. We see it everywhere. The obsession to look perfect, to stay young and live forever. 
and things that never happen, but all always point to eternity. This gravitational pull towards things that really only Christ can give and Christ can satisfy. Even us truly converted people, if not grounded in our faith, can find ourselves drifting and eventually running to the world to try to cover our guilt instead of trusting Christ. And I got a couple applications here, uh, which are seeing seeing the new year. Here's some biblical uh, resolutions, not just for the year, but for everyday living, because it shouldn't be once a year for the Christian. It should be moment to moment, right? We should we should be celebrating the new moment every moment, you know, if you think about it. But the world likes to do it every year, um, and we know it has its roots in paganism. Uh, and obviously, we know the Christians took over that, which is wonderful, kind of like they did at the Christmas, right? They and the history shows that they 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 sabotaged and they took it, right, and they turned it into a way to witness to the world. Um, same with New Year's. You know, we don't have to say, oh, well, I'm not going to celebrate New Year's and make New Year's resolutions because it's pagan. Well, really, ultimately, it's not pagan. Ultimately, everything's grounded in Christ. Pagans steal from the Christian worldview as it is anyway. I'm not going to get into that. But I would say this. I would say this. There is a way that we can have New Year's resolutions that are biblical and they're foolproof and they're life-changing and they're everlasting. And this is what we should look forward to and celebrate. Number one, we need to look to Christ and not to self. We need to look to Christ and not to self. Number two, repentance opposed to self-improvement. Repentance opposed to self-improvement. Let's look at number one. Look to Christ, not to self. First of all, um, we need to look to Christ instead of ourselves, right? I mean, this is a we, we know this. Uh, but when we do that, you see, our heart aligns with his. And Scripture says he grants us the desires of our heart. That's, you could take that verse out of context very quickly, right? Well, I like to do this. God grants all the desires from my heart. I love to do all these things, so they must be right, correct? No, it's when we're in alignment with his word, right? He grants us his desires, that become our desires because they agree with his word. If it's outside of his word, I don't care. You know, I could go drink a six pack of beer today and feel good, but that doesn't mean it's right. The reality is that we always want to do what the Lord has us to do. In Psalms 37, four says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. There's a big difference there because you're delighting yourself with the Lord. He grants you. Why? He grants you the things of your heart. Why? Because they please him and it's worship to him. And this should be our goal. I like what McLaren writes, the commentator. He says, therefore, um, he says this, I'm sorry. McLaren writes, the great reason why life is troubled and restless lies not without but within. Basically, he's saying that the great reason why life is troubled and it's restless lies not from without, but he says, from within. It is not our changing circumstances, but our unregulated desires that rob us of our peace. Those unregulated desires rob you of your peace. Unregulated desires. 
And that's what we see here. They're not regulated. And for Christians, we need to get regulated again to God's word. When we're regulated to Christ, we'll ask things and God will answer. If we're asking, like the book of James says, we're asking because of our lust. We're asking amiss because we're just asking because we want things. Gimme, 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 gimme. And then we wonder why God never answers them. So you blame God, you get mad at God, and you walk away from the faith. Now, I'm reformed. You know what I mean by that. But the reality is that this is what happens when you're not regulated to the word of God. Your life becomes a mess. Think of Ecclesiastes, when the Song of Solomon, when he'd, he just spends his whole life on everything from sex to wine to riches to power, all these things he was trying to somehow do because somehow he thought that these would be satisfying to the soul. And there is a temporary satisfaction. That's why addictions are so dangerous. That's why opening the doors of these things are so dangerous because they have a form of peace. They have a form of satisfaction. They may satisfy your present symptom, but for a moment until it gets a hold of you and then you become a slave to it, then you can't get away from it and your life becomes a living hell. We must become regulated to the word of God. Look at what Solomon did say in Ecclesiastes 2.17. After he'd been through all of that, what do you think a person would say? Oh man, my life could not be better. He doesn't say that. He says the exact opposite. He says, therefore, I hated my life. I hated my life. And I know there's times even in my own life where I do things that I know I shouldn't be doing. And I, 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 I rebel against God and I walk in a way that's displeasing to him. And I'll tell you something, being honest with you, there are times I say that to myself. I hate this life. I hate my life. And it's not from a selfish thing. It's from, I look at what a failure I am and how I've failed God. I've failed my family. I've failed the church. I've failed. I'm nothing more than just a failure, Lord. Everything I put my hands to, it seems that it's a mess and I screw it up, Lord. I see these things and it causes me great pain. And I say to myself, I hate my life. And it's not because I hate my life in the sense of what I have. I hate what I've made my life to be for my own sin. That's what I'm talking about. The Bible says the way the transgressor is hard, not the unbeliever. That's easy. Sin is easy as a dog barks for an unbeliever. But for those who are converted, it's hard being a transgressor. It's hard working uh, against God and, and watching your life unravel over a sin that you just cannot, for whatever reason, seem to resolve or get past. So we have to come back to this and say, God, it's not about me. It's not about my hatred or my love of life. It's about my life being regulated to you and following your will regardless, despite what happens to me. It's about you. I exist for your glory and only for your glory. It, I mean, certainly God cares about how we feel. He cares about when we're in pain. He cares about when we struggle with sickness or whatever it may be, rejection or whatever. He does care about that. But at the end of the day, the reason he cares about that is because he cares about himself receiving the glory out of it. And the problem is a lot of times when the pressure does hit us, right? Say we fall into a dark hole of some kind. What's our first default? What do we run to? Do we run to our cell phones? Do we run to social media? Do we run to all these other things to self-medicate? 
Because we're in pain. Or do we run to Christ? I've done both. I'll admit it. I've done both. I've ran that way before. The wrong way. I went east when I should have been going west. I get that. You know, I get that struggle. And to sit up here behind the pulpit and say, oh, I don't have any of these things is ridiculous. And it's a lie. The Christian life is hard. But when we get pressed, let us not find ourselves trying to strap on something new, trying to cover ourselves up with the world's fig leaves to try to somehow resolve our pain and our problems because they won't go away that way. It just makes them exponential, makes them grow. And you'll be just exactly like Ecclesiastes. Maybe it's a good thing when you get to the end of yourself. Jesus said it's better to hate your life. He didn't mean to walk around as this person no one wants to be around because he's just like pig pen on the peanuts, right? Wherever he goes, he brings this cloud with him. You know, we don't want to be like that either. We don't want to be walking around just saying, I hate myself. That's, that's sinful too. You got to read it in context of what it means. And that's exactly what we mean here is that that life of mine, the old life, I hate it. And then when it comes back and haunts me, I even hate it more just because I know the damning effects of sin. Been around for a while. But also, you learn too quickly, right? How to repent and get your life regulated and back to where it needs to be. Because why? We have an advocate, right? There would not be an advocate for us. I think it was the book of James, right? Or wrong is that John, First John, um, talks about that in if we were perfect on this side of heaven, right? If we were perfect, we wouldn't need an advocate. God already knows that we're going to fail, we're going to fall, but we learn and grow through those failures. Let me, let me move on here quickly. I am seriously running out of time. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. Do it all. Just so you know, do it all. What do you mean my work, Lord? Do it all. What about my nasty relatives? Do it all. Well, what about this I hate or this? Do everything to the glory of God. Everything we find our hands, wherever we put our hands, we must do it to the glorification of our Lord. You know, um, but we have to understand that the world out there doesn't think like we think, right? And if we're not careful, we do get swayed into the world's philosophy of what to think. Let's look at a few um, surveys uh, that took place um, for last year. Uh, the number one thing, 45% of Americans, almost half the population, their number one goal, guess what it was? You don't have to shout it out. Mental health. 45, see that's where we've come in our day. 45 is almost half of the population is to the point where they're putting that as their New Year's resolution, is to get some relief, okay? My question is, I'm not going to get too much into this, what's behind all of that? You know, what's behind these emerging problems? The second one was 39% was, as we all know, improved fitness and those who want to lose weight. These are the two major things that dominate the minds of American people, is mental health, and how they see themselves, the way that they look. And notice the struggles are pretty much that they that th this is revolving around appearance and health, both body and mind, both body and mind. 
So these things go together, right? They go together. According to the data from Euromonitor International, the anti-aging market grew from 3.9 billion in 2016 to 4.9 billion in 2021 in the United States alone. The global anti-aging market went from 25 billion to nearly 37 billion during the same period. What are people trying to do? Do you understand humanity is built into their very beings, redemption, right? Redemption because we're made in the image of God. I'm not saying everyone wants to wants Christ, but everyone wants to be redeemed. Everybody wants to be renewed. You see it. What anti-aging? I mean, look at look at 37 billion. I could never even count that high. Imagine 37 billion trying to somehow recapture their youth, wanting to stay young, wanting to have all these things, you know, and it's really sad, but it is the cry of humanity is to be redeemed. Spending all this money on your skin and doing all these things because you don't want to wrinkle, you don't want to spot, you don't, you want to color your hair, you know, Um, there's nothing wrong with putting stuff on your face. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your skin. There's nothing wrong with dyeing your hair. My point is, is that we become obsessed with it. It's the obsession that's the problem. It's not doing it's the problem. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good that some people do that, right? But listen, there's something is happening in our world that isn't getting better. It's only getting worse. It's only getting worse. Notice that mental health is leading the pack this year as well. Something is causing mental breakdown today, never before seen in history, at least from what I've read. Um, and you know, and I have I have had moments of extreme uh, mental anguish, uh, but it could be biochemistry, right? Maybe nothing to do with anything that you've come in contact with. It could be hereditary. It could have been passed down from your parents or from a, another sibling. It could be from trauma. It could be from trauma, or it could be from life complications, life complications, you know, that that happened to us. The National Library of Medicine says social media use by minors has has significantly increased and, and has been linked to depression and suicidality. Simultaneously, age-adjusted suicide rates have steadily increased over the past decade in the United States, with suicide being the second most common cause of death in youth. Hence, the increase in suicide rate parallels to the simultaneous use increase in social media. In the past 10 years, social media use by minors has risen significantly due to an increase in smartphone usage, with 24% of adolescents reporting being continuously connected to the internet, and half of the adolescents reporting that being addicted to their phone. Nearly 81% of American teenagers use online social media. The average American checks their phone 96 times per day or once every 10 to 12 minutes. Though we actually touch our phones up to 2,617 times per day and unlock our phones 150 times on average. It's a lot. Don't tell me that that doesn't have some kind of um, connection 
with mental health in this country. It does. It does. I've already read to you the reasons why it may not be. But I'm saying that there is a serious, serious growing need to help. If our kids are killing themselves at that percentage rate because of their social media use, that should cause awareness to us like never before. So sit there and pick on someone because they're young and they don't have a cell phone. You know, we need to be able to monitor our children's cell phone use. My goodness, they get on this thing, they can go anywhere in the world and they can see anything in a split second that could literally ruin their lives forever. Little children should be playing with their toys and doing things and imagine things, building forts and shooting BB guns, not being on this idiot machine for hours and hours and hours and hours on end because neurologically it's been proven and shown that neurologically what it does to the brain, it tripwires the brain and you start seeing movements. They had one kid who was playing his video game so much that his body started doing a movement, his right arm started doing this, and his mom thought it was funny, so she, she, she videotaped it with her phone. It was a neurological thing that happened from continual obsessive use of this video game. We have to be mindful of these things. These aren't little things. Guys, our whole world now with AI and all these, coming, these things coming in, we don't have to fear them or be afraid of them. We can utilize them, use them for the glory of God. But we also have to understand the damage that is being done to the generations behind us old folks. Trust me, the kids and teenagers are getting seriously brutalized by these things. And it's very, very sad. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death worldwide. Despite suicide prevention programs, therapy, and pharmacological treatments, suicide remains a public health issue worldwide. So this online activity, you know, if you know, I keep saying, like, don't tell me to stop, 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 stop. Stopping doesn't work, right? Surrendering does. Dying does. Now, I'm not mean physical talk about suicide here. I don't mean that. I mean, like, as the Christ says, we die to ourselves. That is when we forget about ourselves and we move into a different realm. Suicide's a sad thing. I'm not going to get into it behind the pulpit. I will at some point. I'll deal with it, uh, both biblically, but my heart breaks, breaks for those who take their lives. It breaks uh, my heart to see people to the point, especially children. That's even worse to me when they, when they have no hope and they take their lives because either cyberbullying or they just don't feel like they can ever meet up with all the beautiful pictures on Instagram and they just start, you know, they get into a hole and they think the only way out is to 